When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis and they have a look back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Allison Griffin, Vice President of Global Marketing at Intel. Allison's recently started a new role as Global Marketing Lead for the IoT Group, but prior to that, she was leading uh, brand marketing for Intel, and on today's show, we talk about brand storytelling and some of the work and great stories that she's been able to put together for what we traditionally know as the chip that's inside the PC and how Intel has broken out from the PC and all that they're doing outside in the world. Some of those stories include things like using machine learning, drones and cameras and imagery technology to preserve the Great Wall of China. Others include virtual reality of the Smithsonian Art Museums and how they can be applied in education. And we talk a lot, a lot more, including how to balance personal demands and business demands as a busy executive. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Allison Griffin. Well, Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be fun. I hope it'll be a fun conversation for you. But let's uh, let's start off with your background. Where did you start your career, and um, how did you get to Intel? 
Well, I'll tell you, depending on how long you want to go into the gory (laughs) details here, but I actually started my career as a pharmacy major, which is different than where I ended up, obviously. (laughs) I was confident that I was going to be the world's greatest pharmacist and for lots and lots of reasons, ended up deciding that that wasn't the major that I wanted to continue with, much to the chagrin of my parents who paid for a very expensive private school, (laughs) but I decided that I wanted to change course and ended up graduating with a degree in communications and public relations. And I say that to say that early in my career, twists and turns started and thinking that I was going to go in one direction and actually finding that the path was somewhere else and being delighted with the change. I love that. And and it sounds like you were at HP before Intel. What were you doing there? I was. I was. So I started in PR. Um, I was at the PR agency mm-hmm. at HP for, you know, working for HP. And then they ended up hiring me in-house. Okay. And so between the agency and actually working inside the company. I was there for, gosh, the better part of 23 years, which was interesting though. I want to add that I grew up with HP. My mom worked there and retired after 43 years. So (laughs) I was a little kid in Silicon Valley in the early 70s with uh, going to company picnics with Bill and Dave themselves, flipping the burgers and patting (laughs) me on the head. (laughs) So. Holy cow. What, what a story. <laughs> it was crazy. Oh and and the, the funny thing is, I remember when I got to the PR agency and was for the first time put on the HP account, I called my mom and said, oh my gosh, mom, I'm on the HP account. And we laughed. Ah, ha, ha, that's so funny. And then, oh my gosh, mom, they hired me. Ah, ha, ha, that's so funny. And uh, it was just <laughs> one of those completely unrelated to her, completely random But it ended up being, you know, it's part of my DNA, really. I grew up with Silicon Valley and HP and kind of growing my career there. While I was there, I came in through the PC business. I did a bunch of different types of rotations over the 17 years. One was even moving to Europe, to Geneva, Switzerland, to the headquarters for Europe, and moving my two young boys. And my husband took a leave of absence from work and took him to Geneva. Wow. Wow. That sounds like a, a amazing experience, but also disruptive, I'm sure, to everybody. Yeah. In, in, a, in a good way. <laughs> they were little yeah. at the time. So they weren't yet in school. They were three and five. So my husband, I think, was happy to go trot around Europe for a year. So <laughs> it worked out okay. But that sounds like it. Yes, it was fun. fun. It was fun. But but on the the real work thing and really what you're asking me is, you know, the PC business, the server storage software networking business and the printer business in in addition to having an Americas role that included Latin America as well as Europe. That whole experience with HP is amazing. It absolutely took me in directions that I never thought I'd go, kind of back to where we started with the pharmacy comment, um, thinking that you're a PC expert and all of a sudden being ripped out of that and into a server business. I, I panicked, I think, when that decision was made, but then realized that it all of those different changes got me to where I am today. That's great. What brought you to Intel? So Intel, you know, with with my history of HP, I honestly really never thought I would leave HP. And and I don't know if that's a good thing. (laughs) Sounds like 
Well, it sounds like you were destined <laughs> exactly, to be there. Exactly, exactly. So. And and I, I I remember when the Intel opportunity presented itself that I had I felt like I had to ask my mom, like, are you okay if I actually leave? And she was already retired. But it was kind of like a thing, to be honest. But I was so happy with HEM, so happy they're such a great partner of ours still today, of course. But the opportunity at Intel was really intriguing to me. So the CMO at the time was looking to change the overall brand to extend beyond the PC because because from an outbound marketing perspective, we were only spending time and resources really on consumer and PC type of, of activities. And that was still and is still extremely important But in addition to that, the company was growing in B2B areas and they needed an expert in B2B marketing and someone who he knew PC business, but someone who could come in on the server business and kind of be the secret decoder ring between the two, to be honest, because I had experience leading both from all of those changes that I had at HP. So it was one of those things where I didn't really think I would leave HP, but because this was such a big brand and a company that was looking to kind of move in a direction it didn't know and it was new for them from an outbound B2B perspective, I thought, what an amazing opportunity to go build something and they could really use my help. And it felt really exciting. And I was really nervous to leave HP, but super thrilled with the opportunity to go build the B2B side of the Intel brand. Got it. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that pivot that you talked about from like, I always think of you know Intel as the chip inside, you know, from those famous campaigns to doing something beyond that. And yeah. I know you've changed roles recently, but yep. in the last role in brand marketing, there was this project that I saw online about the Great Wall of China yeah. and helping to preserve that. Maybe you could use that as an illustration, maybe. Sure. That sounds great. So Intel is, was looking at itself and saying, look, we're we're a big PC business and it's still big and healthy for us, but we're growing where our future is headed is in data-centric businesses. And that includes things like cloud, data center, storage, security, networking, interconnects, you know, software services, like lots of different parts of Intel's value chain. And that's where a lot of massive growth would happen in the future. And so the realization is just as you pointed out, we don't have an awareness problem as a company. Like when I was the head of branded Intel, I don't need to do any kind of logo sponsorship, if you will. I don't have to have my logo somewhere. Everywhere that we do business in the world knows of us. But what they don't know is the areas where we're growing and where we want to be known moving forward. They know us as a PC leader, the best compute on the planet in a PC. And with all of these, you know, autonomous driving, 5G coming up, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, vision workloads, all of that is where we play a really significant part. And so we were looking at what kind of storytelling can we do that captures the imagination of people just as humans, but tells the story of this business transformation and all these different piece parts that Intel can put together to help create change in the world. And how do we get people to pay attention to it? So enter the Great Wall of China. 
it was actually a business transformation story. I'm right now forgetting the exact name of the organization, but it was something like the China Foundation of Historical Restoration, something very close to that. And they are responsible for restoring monuments and landmarks around the country of China. And I am not exaggerating when I say it was a guy and a tape measure, how they were trying to look at, yeah, deterioration on the wall. And it was crazy. And what they really came to us asking for initially was compute power, which is what you would think to ask us for. And we said, well, wait, what are you guys doing? And in conversations about it, we realized that they were looking to us to completely change the outcome and have a faster time to resolution of the project. So what we did in short was we've got drones doing computer vision, monitoring the Great Wall, taking in all of the data connected to a Xeon-powered workstation right there in the field so they could look at the images that they were captured, but with high enough compute power to be able to see it right then and there. And then we built 3D models. We had software up through a network into a data center cloud, through their data center up into a cloud to analyze everything. And basically, we were coming back with 3D models of the wall and to the millimeter exactly what materials were needed to go restore the wall. And it was also interesting because we used machine learning and training to say when the drone is capturing images, is the line it sees, is that a crack? Is it a tree root? Is it graffiti? What is that thing? So there was a whole bunch of artificial intelligence and computer training going on on Intel Xeon as well. And so all of that combined, we were able to help them restore sections of the wall that were treacherous, that humans couldn't get to easily down to the millimeter of the materials so that they could be very efficient. And then we're making predictions about the next 10 miles of wall and the next 10 miles of wall. And we're continuing to collect that data for them. And the goal with the organization is that they will be able to make predictions about other monuments and landmarks throughout the country based on what we're learning here. That's a fascinating, I mean, it's a fascinating project, yeah. but it also illustrates, I, I'm yeah. assuming this is why you did it, but it <laughs> illustrates kind of all the areas that you're pushing into and all the things that you can do with Intel. That's right. And I think it's just unknown. And, you know, it's funny, I, I tell people this sometimes, I think my husband will cringe. I use him <laughs> as kind of a, a litmus test. He's a probation officer, right? He is not in the Silicon Valley high-tech world. But I just say, you know, is this story interesting? Does it make sense to you? Like kind of was looking to bridge where pure consumers, gamers, know us and love us with the compute power from a PC. But we wanted to translate to these business transformation stories and like this really geeky full kit of stuff that Intel has that a company can use to go just explode in growth and change what they do and how they do it. But again, wanting the, I say, Chris Griffins of the world to relate and to understand what it is we're talking about. And that was the beauty of the Great Wall of China. Right. No, that's great. I I use my family as a focus group myself. So <laughs> good. I'm not alone. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. They're they're also my lie detector or my my BS yeah, meter, maybe at exactly. other times. Uh, so, so well, you mentioned. So we're talking about storytelling. 
storytelling is used yeah. a lot in marketing. And I just want to, you know, how do you think about it? And what advice maybe would you share to other folks like peers that are trying to accomplish this? Yeah, storytelling to me is important. And I might be biased with my, you know, roots in public relations, right? I, I feel like PR people are among the best marketers when they can understand how to translate a very technical or or complicated story, net it out <laughs> and and help people see, you know, the wow factor of it. And so that whole narrative and and the thrill of the chase, if you will, of trying to force myself to to think of things in ways that that are easy to understand, but still very interesting and get the right message across. And I think that marketers have to keep thinking of stories and not just, especially in the technology world, not just what we call speeds and feeds. I think in technology marketing or even business marketing, it's super easy to get in the trap of, here's my roadmap, if you will, of either a solution or a product. And it now costs this much and it now provides these more features and it's this much faster and you're going to get a total cost of ownership benefit. And I consider that all the rational stuff. And it's, of course, really important. A buyer at the end of the day has to understand the rational benefits. But in order, in my opinion, to really hook a partner, right? Somebody who's going to have brand love and really find value out of your brand and what you're offering. You've got to talk about the why. And to me, the why is the most important part of marketing. And the what will follow, but you've got to capture with a delighting, delightful type story that is in language they understand with an outcome that they're interested in and then get to, and here's the kit of stuff, if you will, that is available to you to go make this happen in your neck of the woods. Got it. Got it. So let's talk about that. Like maybe it's mm -hmm. the kit aspect or yeah. making that pivot from, you know, selling the product or the solution to selling the story as in some regards, what do you need to be prepared for? Yeah. So it's the why you have to understand a customer, right? So it all starts with the customer. Who is your customer? Do you understand what they need, what their pain points are, where they sort of live on the web, if you will, when they're searching around, what's, you know, meaning what interests them and motivates them, where are they finding their facts, all that kind of stuff. And that deep persona work of true understanding of the customer is how it starts. Once you have that, then you know what their pain points are and you can go work with, you know, the business units and the engineers to understand, hey, we're building this technology. Why did you build it? You know, we have all these private meetings, if you will, with the engineers to understand what were you thinking and trying to solve and then matching that with the current problems of our customers. Of course, we filled in, fill the data requirements and the product requirements into the engineering process. We feed that in. But it's also great to check in with the engineers sort of mid-time and after the fact to understand exactly, you know, how that technology is, is, is moving forward. And then to connect it to also the purpose of the company and the why, why Intel, you know, from a reliability and innovation perspective, our smart and connected world, if, 
if there is a smart and connected world that's powered by Intel and to explain what that means and why. And so it's just all kind of comes together. And I'm being kind of generic because we have so many different parts of our business. The answer for a cloud customer is different than an answer for an edge computing or internet of things type customer, which is different than a PC gamer. But understanding what that gamer wants versus what that manufacturing line manager is looking for and connecting how their pain points will be solved with this new set of technology that's now available. I mean, it seems like at some level it's it's empathy for the user, empathy for the, yes. the business person. That's a great, yes. I might steal that from you, may I? <laughs> sure. Take it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is true. But but it has to drive every decision we make. Our engineers wake up every morning thinking about how they can help solve the world's greatest problems. As marketers, we wake up every morning trying to realize what problems we can help our target customer solve. And that's that has to be at the beginning. I love it. Well, another another project I saw, which I, I found fascinating, but I would love to hear the story about it, was uh, the AR augmented reality or virtual reality project with the Smithsonian. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So this is an interesting one because, again, where it started, (laughs) it it evolved over time. And I love those. Those are my favorite kind of stories. So we've been working with the Smithsonian for a long time and digitizing their archives. So they've got a million or more artifacts underground. Again, I'm I'm uh, I can't remember the exact number, but we were working on the project to digitize. And then in the course of those conversations, they just happened to say that as a business, they were looking to get a billion people through the doors of their museum so that they could share art with a billion people. And they were laughing about it because they said, it's not like there's a barrier to entry. You know, I mean, it's open to everyone. It's free. There's many, many museums and anybody can go at any time. Of course, the barrier is people have to get to Washington, D.C. in order to be able to do it. And so they were just kind of lamenting about it. And so we sort of went away and said, oh, my gosh, is there something that we could do at Intel that could help them solve that problem? That's a business challenge that they have. And again, over crazy conversations and what if possibility type thinking, and again, thinking about the customer and what their challenge was, we decided that we could put their galleries in virtual reality. And that way, anybody in the world could visit and see their art. And so they could now actually meet their billion-dollar dream. And it was a really cool thing. So we started small. We started with the Renwick Gallery and made worked with a partner called Sansar, who does 3D Worlds, and basically said, we are going to create an exact replica of the Renwick Gallery and help you guys be able to, you know, share it. And schools, again, was another interesting part of what they wanted to do, get students to be able to see the art in that gallery. So (laughs) fast forward, we worked with Sansar, they completely replicated the Renwick, and we were able to have live sessions with schools and a docent in D.C. in the Renwick all acting as avatars from many places across the country and have a live tour 
of the gallery as their art lesson for the day. And it was. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Just an amazing thing that wow. to see the kids interact and to see them get blown away by the art was so cool. <laughs> that is cool. That yeah. is very cool. That's we a actually great use of the technology too. Yeah, and we took it a step further. If if you will indulge me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. So so because we had that like good outcome, we decided to get an entire virtual reality um, technology learning lab set up in a truck, like you know, that would drive across the country, and we had a schedule to hit certain schools and museums across the country and not only show the Renwick gallery that we were just talking about, but we also have like classes. So dissecting a frog in virtual reality, for example, or doing chemistry class or flying through space to learn the planets and the stars. That's fascinating. I love it. I love it. Well, yeah. And you've got you've got now a new role at Intel. I I think I get this right that you're the VP of marketing for IoT. And so what does that mean? What are you what's changing for you? We are focused on the internet of things, which is I'll kind of simplify. It's in a lot of different vertical markets are good examples. So it's where you have compute power at the edge, and the edge just means on-premise. So like if you are a manufacturing line and there's products going through, you know, those big, huge conveyor belts, if you will. I know I didn't say that right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And a product is going through like an entire line, you need to have data being analyzed right there. It's maybe temperature, lighting, cleanliness, like dust particles might be one. Depends on the the process and the manufacturing that you're doing. There's also vision cameras, for example, that can inspect rather than a human and can be more accurate at detecting any defects to pull a product off the line, for example, or let a product continue going online. So the point is there's a lot of compute that has to happen right there. So Internet of Things is enabling that compute power right there where you need it. And companies can consolidate workloads. I'm getting a little bit techie here. It's probably not not where we want to go. But the ability to be able to then get all that data, have artificial intelligence gain insights. And so then that line, for example, can be more efficient. 
so those kinds of things, there's a healthcare example too. Like I went to China actually, and we do it here as well, but they, it was interesting in China because they have a billion people and there's tier like four five and six cities. So they're super remote. They don't have the doctors that they need. They don't have clinics or hospitals. They have to go really far to get any kind of medical care. And so when they have something like cancer, or need radiology or things, it's really hard for them to get access to the right kind of care. And so now our vision devices and our compute power and OpenVINO software toolkit is able to analyze like x-rays or radiology output, MRI machine output, those kind of things, and detect issues. And so you don't need the doctor there and you can detect millions of output from the machines in seconds, let's say, not literally, but millions and millions and millions in a very short period of time compared to if a doctor had to look with his own eyes and and analyze the data. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, I I know you're going to find tons of stories to tell in that job for sure. That's what's so exciting. (laughs) Storytelling. Smart cities (laughs) is another one to keep cities safe and smart with, you know, smart streetlights or automotive, autonomous driving, you know, cars interacting with lights. You know, all of those things are in the IoT or Internet of Things space. And so, yeah, and Intel plays in all of them. And again, it's just not known. And so from a marketing perspective, my job is to make sure that we go work with these really great businesses that are doing amazing things in the world, like making a city smarter or cleaning up the air, bringing clean water to remote locations, all of those things. And those are businesses are doing it, but being able to do it faster, more efficiently with a whole breadth of an Intel technology solution and then tell the story about it. That's fascinating. Well, I think I had heard or read and or heard about a reorg inside bringing sales and marketing together at Intel. Yes. So how is that working? And does it change your marketing mix as you think about things going forward? No, really not. And it shouldn't, it was, it was funny. You know, I, I'm a new ish to Intel. I've been here two and a half years or so. And Mm -hmm. so when I arrived, sales and marketing were separate and which Mm. I admit was like, Oh, that's interesting, but fine. Um, because it didn't matter really from a reporting perspective at first, right. you know, I'm still going to partner with the field guys and make sure that our stories and our customer targets and all those things are aligned. So, so that was good. But what we did actually change it from an org chart perspective recently and brought the two teams closer together and all it's doing in a good way is it's just bringing our teams closer together with planning and ensuring that we're executing together. And of course, that's important. So it was probably okay in some pockets, and maybe it wasn't as tight as it could have been in others. And so now that we've reorged, it's just forcing alignment on our planning and processes so that we execute together. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I think all good marketers you know, they're always connectors and always collaborating with sales because at the end of the day, if it doesn't drive sales, what did we do? I don't know. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly right. You know, it's, it is interesting. Intel is a, is slightly different in that we don't necessarily, we don't sell directly (laughs) to an end customer, right? Right. Like I'm, I'm not going to go to you and say, okay, you're going to go buy Intel. You're going to go buy 
something that has Intel in it. Mm-hmm. And our is, but, but we do have to also sell to the guy who's going to put Intel in the it that you're going to end up buying. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have a couple of different sales motions and a couple of different marketing motions that are distinctly different than, as an example, the kinds of stuff I was doing when I was at HP. And I love that. Mm-hmm. That was another thing that's like super interesting about the path that I knew from an end user pull perspective, like go buy this thing at the end or the push of, Hey, you're going to want to put this technology in the thing that you're going to go sell to our joint customers. And thinking about the story in those two ways is an extra cool thing that I enjoy being able to do with my job. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, I spent a summer at Dell and I really loved the day when Intel came in, frankly, and showed us all these futuristic devices and uh, things that they should be thinking about building. That's right. And and the research and things that went behind it. It's very really, it's fascinating. That's it was cool. a great day. That yeah, day. that's cool that you bring that up. You know, it's funny. I, I sort of say, <laughs> but I'm about to say it, so I guess it's happening here, that much of the technology, it wouldn't exist unless an Intel fellow thought of it 10 years ago, right? And so the the OEMs of the world are surely innovating and surely have intellectual property that they create around whatever the Intel solution is, of course. But they can't do that until they understand the Intel piece and what it's going to enable and how small their their device can be or how fast it can be or how much they have to handle temperature or all those kinds of things aren't possible until Intel's roadmap is made clear to them. And and so again, that's not a known thing in the world, but the technology is in so right. much of what everybody looks at and touches and interacts with every day. Very cool. Well, I want to switch gears. One of the things I love to do is to get to know the person behind the topics we cover. And uh, I love this question. It's a little bit of a deep question, but um, hopefully you're okay with it. Is uh, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. It's a lot of little things. I'm an only child. And I had very gratefully, I had such wonderful support and love of my parents. And they, luckily we had the means to be able to do things like go to pharmacy school and then leave pharmacy school, that that kind of stuff. But those kinds of of (laughs) actions where the support of my parents and the kind of just thought that if there's anything that I want to try. They were willing to support me in trying it. And you know, another big one is my mom. So she was in the 60s, late 60s and and early 70s in Silicon Valley as a woman in the technology world, making her way as a working mother. And I've saw that my whole life. In fact, I, you know, I don't know if this is a good or a bad, but I, I'm going to say it's a good thing in a way. She elected to put me into daycare when I was eight weeks old and she went back to work. 
And it was a hard decision for her, but I turned out just fine. <laughs> Everything's great. And But I say that to say it was so ingrained in me that she was a role model of working through you know, a very male dominated Silicon Valley working through a very, you know, 1970s, how am I going to handle being a wife and a mother and a caregiver and a daughter and a sister and, you know, all the things that women even today grapple with. And it was that kind of shaping, I think just set me up for, I can do this, whatever the, this is. And then the support that they gave me with that very pivotal, I mean, I make light of changing from pharmacy and going into communications, but that was a really hard, big decision. And I had already been in year three of five years of year-round pharmacy school where to, on a path to a doctor of pharmacy. I was a licensed pharmacy technician. I was filling prescriptions. And to change course in that way, I think was a pivotal moment to see not only that my parents would support it and that I didn't have to be afraid and that I could do it. I could do something that wasn't kind of on my very neat and tidy path and that I could succeed in doing this unknown thing. You know, it had yet to be revealed what the change was going to be, but to take that chance and succeed was, I think, just kind of set me up. I love that. I love that story. And, and your mom is such a great example. Being an executive at the level that you're at in a global company is hard and stressful, I can imagine. How do you, how do you think about balance? You know, I, there's been, I'm going to admit, and I think people need to admit it more. There are times I do it really well and there are times I'm just not very good at it. And I hate to say that sometimes my family has been on the suffer side versus work. And, but now, you know, I've had, you know, 26 years of practice here. And, and now what I do is I plan work travel around, you know, when I can. And so my, my point there is I am able to say no to work travel now in where in the past maybe I didn't. And so just being mindful of your family and your priorities and your calendar, I think is important. And that's something that it took me a little bit of time to have the guts to do, but I've done. And family meals are really important to us. And, you know, my husband grew up sitting down and eating dinner with his family every night. I grew up sitting down eating dinner with my parents every night. And we do that with our boys as well. Even with the tricky schedules, they're, they're now older. I have an 18-year-old and almost 16-year-old. So they're busy, <laughs> which, is, yeah, which is good. Yeah. It makes it easier. Like, you know, they're, they're not as dependent on my husband and I to, to do basic things. But you know, when, when we can, which is pretty often we sit down and have dinner together as a family and talk and catch up. And it's, it's, I cherish it. I love it. I love it. Well, what, if you were to start all over today, you have any advice you uh, would give your younger self? Yeah. You know, I, I guess I, I would do it the same. I think like even starting in pharmacy and changing, cause it's, it would be very easy to say, Oh, don't, don't go in that pharmacy path. It's not going to lead to where you want. But to be honest, that was such a great learning experience. Again, like I said, of testing my, not testing my parents, but seeing pressure testing what would happen with a change like that and 
and the support and the love that I was, was able to get and the confidence that it built in me was just amazing. For young marketers in general, I'd say that change is good. I've love change. And some people don't. And I've always kind of scratched my head about that. Going into a different business unit or a different company or a different geography or even a different function, function meaning like from PR to advertising or, you know, even over to HR, if that was something that you were interested in. Changing like that is really important to be well-rounded, to get different experiences and different points of view. And that's part of diversity and why diversity is so important. It's, it's diversity of gender and ethnicity and, and where you're from and all of those. And it's also diversity of when you're in, a, in an HR role, how you see the world is different than when you're in an advertising role. But my gosh, maybe there's some really great cross learnings there as an example. And so yeah, don't be afraid of it. And, you know, I've done it a lot in my career changing. And it's just, I think, made me a better listener and a better leader. Love it. What keeps you going? What fuels you? I enjoy, you know, I am a little bit crazy <laughs> where I love the thrill of work and a new challenge and, and a challenge meaning how am I going to explain this insane, crazy technology stuff that is barely understandable unless you have an engineering degree. And how am I going to make <laughs> some business decision maker understand why it's important? And to me, the love, that is a thrilling challenge. So from a work perspective, I love it. From a personal perspective, my younger son is in a band. He plays the bass guitar. <laughs> And he's, nice. yes, and he's quite good, actually. <laughs> and hearing him play gigs, and he was on tour in Los Angeles last summer, got to play some super amazing, famous locations like the Viper Room, the Whiskey A Go Go, House of Blues, wow. those kind of things. Yeah. And being able to just watch him perform is it just gets me. And I say that as I, I was in music for many years and my dad was a professional drummer in the 60s. And so that music and performing and it just gets me. I love it. <laughs> I love that. Well, are there, I tend to see marketers as students of others doing marketing. Are there any brands or companies or causes that you think others should be following or taking notice of? Yeah. I mean, I hope it's not just so obvious to say, but I've been in tech my whole career and to watch Microsoft yeah. is amazing. I mean, holy moly, the empowerment message that they have across B2B, B2C, internal message, everything they're doing externally about around empowerment and the change and, and kind of the alignment as an entire organization around this one very energizing and positive message has been amazing to watch. And the changes yeah. of that company over the last couple of years, I, I, my hats are off to them. They've done yeah. it right, in my opinion. No, I agree. They, not many people talk about them, at least they've been on this show, but they have truly hit another gear since the new yeah. CEO took over. It's amazing. That's right. And, it's, and again, you're right, because it's not 
you know, Microsoft, okay, right? right, or even Intel, okay, in the world out there. But but the truth is, you know, that these they have a varied business that hits completely different types of people. Mm-hmm. You know, a consumer, a business person, a a cloud service provider, right? They're just so broad. And it's maybe a little similar to Intel where it's like foundational technology and and a lot of other things. But the way they've been able to, I'll say, reinvent themselves Mm -hmm. into a very positive and approachable brand has been, as a marketer, it's fantastic. I agree. I agree. Well, last question for you. What what do you think the future of marketing is going to look like? You know, it's funny. I I think I still say narratives are a big one. The why. I think marketers really have to think about tying their product to their brand and their and the purpose of the company as well as the why for the customer. And just thinking about that why more and more and more, especially for tech brands who are so used to just the what. I think is a big, a big change. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't say that artificial intelligence and automation (laughs) and measurement are so available to us as marketers now. I mean, it's marketers dream to be able to get the data that we can get about our target customer so that we can be smarter about the kinds of messages that we're telling and the places where we're putting those messages or showing up in the world. Being able to measure is important, but then to change course. So it's not good enough to measure, which I think a lot of people do, and then they share a report, but no one ever changes what they're doing based on it. That's not good. And that's not the purpose of the measuring. Oh, it's uh, it's interesting. And it's a whole new world with all of those new technologies available to us. So, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was super fun. I really appreciate it. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.